The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. What's going on, everyone? Nico here with The Wooden Spoon, giving you another episode of The Sit Down, and I'm so excited about this episode. Um, So for those of you that don't know, this episode is going to be about the Garibaldi Meucci Museum in Staten Island. And for those of you that don't know who um, Giuseppe Garibaldi is or Antonio Meucci is, we do dive into it in um, pretty heavy detail in this episode. But for those of you that don't know, Giuseppe Garibaldi is pretty much the guy that unified Italy in the late 1800s. And Antonio Meucci, for for you guys know him if you've been following us for a little bit, um, where we interviewed people asking them who they think invented the telephone. And then I tell them Antonio Meucci invented the telephone. Now, what's so crazy about this museum is Antonio, this is Antonio Meucci's house in the late 1800s. And uh, Giuseppe Garibaldi actually lived with him for, I think, about a period of eight months. So and then this uh, their house is actually a museum now in Staten Island. You could go visit. They've got so many cool things in the museum that Meucci owned, Garibaldi owned, and um it's absolutely fascinating. It's absolutely inspiring to hear the story about these two um, amazing men, especially Garibaldi. Um, that guy's been on many, many crusades, and we dive in deep in this episode. So um, after I went to the museum a couple months ago, I reached out and I said, we have to do a podcast episode or some sort of content with the museum. And then the museum had um, messaged me back, and I was in contact with Professor William Costello. Um, He's on the board of the museum, and um, what a great guest he was. You guys are going to see in just a minute or two. Um, We dove in deep about the museum, so guys, be sure to check out the museum, the website that is in the description wherever you're listening to it here, and um, we'll talk about how you could plan your visit and everything about the museum just now uh if you guys are listening on youtube be sure to subscribe comment what you think and um share with your friends because this is a very very cool museum especially for italians and italian americans alike and it's right in new york city right in staten island you could take the ferry over and uh plan a visit it's i 100 recommend you guys visiting the museum it's so cool so here he is to talk about it. We're just going to sit down with Professor William Costello. How's everyone doing? Now, this week we have a very special guest on the show. We've got Professor William Costello. He's a member of the Board of Trustees and a docent of the Garibaldi Meucci Museum in Staten Island. How are you doing, Professor? Very well, thank you. How are you doing, Nico? Good, good. Um, wish we could have done this in person at the museum. I just came to the museum for the first time um a month or two ago and i was blown away that it's like this perfect museum in staten island and it's just it's got so much history for just being just a house in staten island well thank you it's very special to us it's um it's been pretty much a a cornerstone of the community of rosebank and we're trying to get it more well known throughout staten island and the tri-state yeah, absolutely. So give us a, a little bit of backstory on you. You're, you're a professor at um, St. John's, you're saying? Yeah. Um, I had done a career of 35 years with the Associated Press as a journalist and mm-hmm. an artist. And um, when I retired from there back in 2011, St. John's picked me up as an adjunct uh, professor of communications 
where I've been teaching ever since and to my great joy. In the midst of all that, I somehow got involved with the museum through a friend of mine. Uh, they knew I was a portrait artist and I had been all my life. And I was asked to do a portrait of Garibaldi and Meucci for the museum and did so and put it on permanent display. And that set off a whole snowball of of different things in my recent past, not only becoming part of the museum, but also becoming one of the uh, past presidents of the Sons of Italy in America who owned the museum. Oh, nice. And um, just pretty much getting much more involved in my own community. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, so when was like, um, was this like when they asked you to do the portrait? Was that the first time you've heard of Garibaldi or did you know about Garibaldi long before? I knew little about Garibaldi because most of the time in our own history classes here in the United States, we have very few entries about him. Mm-hmm. And European history from the 19th century usually doesn't get on the on the on the mark every once in a while with education here. And so I knew basics about him. I knew very little about Meucci. And after having gone there, I was actually shocked that I didn't know about these two men. I thought I felt the same exact way after going through the going through the museum. I actually, I forget, the book I was reading. It's like Italian American history. Um, it was just that's a book about Italian American history that I had gotten, and it just had one little like short like page about the. Gribaldi Meucci Museum and I was like wow this is like just in Staten Island and then I started doing a little bit more research and it's like how come we don't know more about these these guys Um, absolutely um, I'm absolutely with you on that Um, it's almost like somehow it wasn't important to our own history however the man is comparable Garibaldi to George Washington Mm mm-hmm in fact, he took all of his inspiration from George Washington. He was able to pull together a country that was so diversely owned by Spain and France and Austria. Uh, and for so many years, they would had no power of their own, no economy. And that's Garibaldi's side. And Meucci, uh, when you look at the history, is is the inventor of the telephone. Yeah. Just just a backstory before, I guess, we get too deep. Um if you could just describe Garibaldi and Meucci in just like a couple of sentences each. Meucci is the yeah. inventor of the telephone, which who was who just got absolutely robbed from the um, credit of that. And then what would you say Garibaldi is just the one of the sole unifiers of Italy? Yeah. Um, as far as Meucci is concerned, he was a brilliant inventor. And he was born in Florence and went through a part of his life in Cuba and working for an opera house and, and different and constantly experimenting with electricity and voice and everything. When he finally came to the United States, um, he was quite accomplished and fairly well known. The only thing is that he was a terrible businessman and kept mm-hmm. losing every cent he had to bad investors. But while in Havana, he found out that voice travels over an electrified copper wire quite by accident. And he had the first working telephone right there at the museum where where we meet now in that old house, uh, working between the second floor of his house and his workshop uh, in the backyard when Alexander Graham Bell was only four years old. And so there was an actual working telephone right here on Staten Island, the first one in the world. Um, (laughs) 
operating in that house before the uh, the man who took the credit for it uh, was even out of his uh, short pants. So. <laughs> well, I know that's absolutely, absolutely incredible. And the story behind that, the, the story behind him getting just absolutely robbed of the patent. And that is, that'll blow your mind. The biggest shame of it was the perception of uh, any, any person in America who didn't speak English well uh, was that they were ignorant. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe he spent most of his life elsewhere in Italy, in, in Cuba, where they spoke Spanish. When he came to the United States, he never, he was a little older and he never mastered English. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he was considered ignorant. Mm-hmm. And so anybody that wanted to take advantage of him did. Uh, but you have to remember that he also holds 26 actual patents really? in the United States. From 1850 through 1870, he was still making patents. He just never got one for the telephone. Mm-hmm. What, and, what other patents does he have? Well, he has systems of making smokeless candles. He has um, – there are amazing things in his patents. Some of them are how he could make paint cling to a metal surface. There are simple things like the coffee filter that he invented. Um, You're going to say the coffee filter? He invented the coffee filter. We have the patent for that. Uh, certain patents for machinery that makes candles. Uh, there's a book at the museum where we actually put out his 26 American patents for anybody to really examine. And it's fascinating because it's taken directly from the archives of the 1850s and 60s um, from the United States Patent Office. Wow. So it's a great, great piece of history right in your hands there. You get to know what a brilliant man this uh, fellow was mm-hmm. and being accused of being ignorant. In fact, that's the basis of how he lost the court case when he challenged Alexander Graham Bell. Uh, he put out all the technology on the table in front of the judges at the Supreme Court, at Congress, actually. Mm-hmm. And he could not speak for himself. And he could not afford a great lawyer. Mm-hmm. So he was deemed too ignorant to have invented such an important piece of mm-hmm. technology. Now, I remember at the museum, someone had said along, something along the lines of one of maybe somebody in Congress or the judge at the time was a, a shareholder in one of Alexander Graham Bell's companies or one of the companies that um, profited off Graham Bell's telephone. The, the, the fellow who's the arbitrating judge at the proceedings, uh, and it was about a two or three year case um, was an investor in Bell Telephone uh, and un, unbeknownst to the public. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were quite a few very, very well healed um, personalities in the United States who also had their fortune uh, invested in Bell Telephone. And so uh, during the case, they would come up with uh, their own opinions about Gar- about Meucci, et cetera. The fact of the matter is that poor Mr. Meucci died before the end of the trial. And by default, everything, the the patent for the phone went to Alexander Graham Bell. But uh, one little bit of redemption happened back in 1998. Uh, Vito Fisella, who is currently our borough president here in Staten Island, um, put he was a congressman back then and put into Congress uh, a declaration that they recognized Meucci as the creator of all the technology that went into making the final telephone. 
Uh, unfortunately, they couldn't call him the inventor, but they said he brought everything right mm -hmm. up to the last step. And so that's on paper and recognized by the Congress of the United States. We have that proclamation in the uh, museum. However, it really doesn't undo the hurt or get him in the history books uh, by one more paragraph. So, mm -hmm. you know, well, I mean, I guess something's better than nothing, but it's just, it would just, I'm trying to think of like, what would that be like today if somebody, like if someone just happened to not speak perfect English or was living in this country and maybe English is a second language and getting robbed of well, um, accreditation like that. Look at the case of Bill Gates. Bill Gates invented nothing. Bill Gates was an investor, a collector mm -hmm. of companies. And so the people that invented um, Microsoft and the IBM computers and everything else, they were all out there already. Mm -hmm. Bill Gates unified them into mm -hmm. a company. And so he gets the credit for most of the technological inventions that we have today, just like Alexander Graham Bell. But he never put pen to paper. He was never skilled in engineering. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a great businessman and promoter, an entrepreneur. Um, pretty much the same with Graham Bell, because he has very few other inventions. He worked on a typewriter for the deaf. Mm -hmm. He worked on a few other um, notable inventions in his time. But he wasn't of the caliber of a man like Meiji. Mm -hmm. And neither is Bill Gates of the caliber of those people that invented all the technology that went behind his fame. Mm -hmm. um, so no, yeah, that's, I, that, 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 I was going to say that makes more sense. It's always the um, almost, I would say like the marketing and the promoting that <laughs> gets you the most of the recognition, but um, I guess changing years to Garibaldi for someone who has completely never heard of him before. What would you say? Like, how would you describe Garibaldi in just like a quick, like phrase uh -huh. or two? Okay, I was amazed that he is a, um, a swashbuckling hero <laughs> of the first degree, uh, came basically from nothing, and ended up uh, leading the forces that unified Italy from north to south. Mm -hmm. um, in, in a few words, he was a, a pure comic book hero of his time. Um, Garibaldi uh, was the fourth of a of a, a quartet of people that put it together. Uh, it was necessary by the writings of uh, Mazzini, who incited the revolution, as Thomas Paine did so in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, the financing uh, and accumulation of money by Count Cavour, very rich person in the, in the Duchy of Savoy, who had worldwide connections and could raise money, uh, the figurehead who had to lead them up, which was King Emmanuel, Victor Emmanuel II of the House of Savoy, because Italy, even if, when unified, needed a leader mm -hmm. before they could elect one. And Garibaldi, who led all the forces, who led all the soldiers to literally throw out the foreign influences throughout the peninsula and create the country by force. Mm -hmm. And so you have these four men, but Garibaldi was the most active by far, mm -hmm. the one who always put his life at risk, who lost everything to gain everything. Mm -hmm. And he's, I mean, after doing just the little, 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 little bit of research that I've done, um, it's just, it's just shocking to me as an Italian American that not all Italians or Italian Americans like recognize Garibaldi as like a historic, like a, like a hero, because 
I guess growing up, you hear about, and not to like knock anything off like Christopher Columbus, but it's like you have guys like Columbus and these other figures, but like we're never like raised knowing anything about Garibaldi, who could be the most historical Italian figure ever. First off, with with the reality of it is uh, from my grandfather's generation through yours, Nico, we were influenced by the current Italy at that time. Mm-hmm. The current Italy in Europe that had gotten involved in World War One and World War Two, and the current Italy that sent immigrants to the United States sometimes to be greatly uh, prejudiced against. Uh, so Italians in American history books weren't to be examined. Mm-hmm like the English and the Germans, um, the Italians kind of took a back seat. And we're not very vocal people. We don't complain when we don't get recognized. Mm. We're fairly humble and hardworking. Mm. And so in those generations, the history books were written. The the, uh, schools carried on with their lessons in in basically the Anglo-Saxon world. So when it came to Italy and a hero like Garibaldi, it meant very little to um, to the scholastics in America. Now, let me give you a quick fact, though. Columbus never set foot on North America, mm-hmm. and he's the founder, and everybody recognizes Columbus, where Garibaldi was actually asked by President Lincoln to oh, lead yeah. one of the brigades in the Civil War and who subsequently sent 4,000 of his men to fight for the Union. Um, if that's not getting involved with America, I don't know what is. I was going to say, because not only I get Garibaldi was born in Italy, but he's as an Italian-American as it gets, living in, <laughs> living in Staten Island, fighting for the Union in the Civil War, being on the right side of history on a lot of issues, too. And including- True, he was very anti-slavery when mm-hmm. he learned really how to become a soldier down in South America as a merchant marine, um, he took up the cause of, of freeing the slaves and was quite successful there in several guerrilla wars that took place, which taught him how to be a warrior. Mm-hmm. That was in the 1830s and 40s. When he finally made it to America, it was only after he was defeated in his first attempt to unify Italy. Uh, he took Rome, made it into its own republic for some eight to nine months and then was forced out by the french and papal forces Mm -hmm. if he wasn't well he was exiled from italy and the only places that would take him in were england and the united states Mm -hmm. and he chose to come to new york because there were very many italians who had already emigrated here started successful businesses became prominent in politics and raised a lot of money So he had more support in New York City than he did in all of Europe. And he physically lived here for only eight months in that house Mm -hmm. with Meucci and his family and um, his, well, various other people that came and went from that house. But he changed the course of history. If it wasn't for him being here and meeting up with those financiers and businessmen in New York, He would never have had the money to raise an army to unify the rest of Italy. And so let's just say the unification of Italy began in Staten Island. Mm -hmm. And let's also say that the people 
of New York City. Um, the, the immigrants who came over after Austrian oppression in the 1820s and 1830s came and welcomed him with open arms and said, okay, how can we help you? Let's build you ships. Let's, let's support your army, buy them weapons. An army is not cheap to have. You still have to pay wages, supply bullets and guns. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's really not much of an army. And so the money raised here and the interest in Italy that came from New York City itself uh, created a unified nation that we deal with every day now. One of the top economies in the world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty amazing that it all happened within five miles of our houses. <laughs> I know, absolutely. And then it's, um, I think it's really important of um, just to get the word out about Garibaldi because like I said, I was doing my own research and I don't see like you see all these like Italian American figures getting posted, especially ones of like, I guess, more more like younger Italian Americans. Like you see like the actors and the celebrities, but um, nothing like a historical figure like Garibaldi who could be compared to someone like, I guess, Abraham Lincoln would be like compared to in the U.S. Well, uh, he was um, he was a fighting general. He was a brilliant tactician. Um, He also exemplifies Italians as strong and very strong-willed and uh, extremely, extremely brilliant in organizing and and creating. And so our reputation as an Italian ethnicity in America is more, like you were saying, on the side of entertainment more on the side of opera and 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 the arts which mm-hmm. is not a bad thing to claim no. ownership over but the heroes in american history books are just like garibaldi mm-hmm. and and the tough rough fighter who who sacrifices his entire life for the dream that he had and it took three different wars and it took the life of his wife mm-hmm. and his unborn child and it took uh, a total uh, physical uh, uh, wreckage of his legs and physical uh, injuries that he carried around for life uh, to do what he did, which is something akin to what George Washington did, something akin to what Napoleon did. Mm-hmm. And yet we we um, we completely uh, champion those figures in our history books, but because we're quiet. We're productive. We're um, we're not always asking for attention. I suppose mm-hmm. people like Garibaldi and Meucci fall through the cracks. Yeah. This nope. museum, just to give ourselves a little plug, we put out the full entire history now of everything that happened between 1799 and 1900 in Italy, and most of that includes the history of Garibaldi's involvement. And we put out the entire life of, of uh, Antonio and Esther Meucci and how they completely changed um, our communications, our lives mm-hmm. from this tiny little house in Staten Island. And I just ask people to come and see us because you're now standing in a place that the world turned on. I was going to say, while. yeah, and everything it, like the museum brings it all to like life. Like you were there and it's, and it's, that makes it like ten, like you could see it. You could see Garibaldi's um, uniform, his some of his weaponry. I saw his revolver, and 
Like we have the original telephone there. Now, if you had to go look up the Garibaldi Meucci Museum on your cell phone, thank the guy from that house. Because <laughs> if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't have that. I know. That's, that. <laughs> that's a good point. Now, r- real quick, before we talk about the museum too much, what is um like the, uh, I guess, what is Garibaldi like in the history books in Italy? Now, is he? Oh, well, why- revered. Revered. Okay. He is like uh, George Washington is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, every school child would know about it. There are statues all over Italy uh, celebrating his great um, illustrious past. In fact, um, in the museum, we have pictures of statues from Russia to South America mm-hmm. of Garibaldi um, in such heroic poses with, on horseback and holding up a gun and a sword. The only statue we have publicly displayed in America of, uh, of Garibaldi is in Washington Square Park in the village. And most people walk by it and say, who's that? Mm -hmm. And that statue is the only tribute to him uh, publicly in the United States. Wow. Even his wife, Anita, a young woman of 29 who gave her life to the cause, her statues are all over the world. Uh, She's buried on a hill in Rome with this gorgeous equestrian statue of a horse triumphant and her carrying a gun and a baby at the same time <laughs> if you can imagine that the heroicism behind that mm-hmm. and the respect that they gave him and his entire cause and his family um i could only compare it to washington lincoln someone like that mm-hmm. now how do we as italian americans or just i guess historians in general get the word out about gribaldi or i guess spread like the message of um, gribaldi well, the problem is we're so diversified fighting for everything. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get the, the nation to keep the statues of Christopher Columbus up. Yeah. Um, my proposal, if you want to get the heroes noticed, is take a day in October and make it Italian, uh, Italian day where we honor a different famous Italian every year. And like everyone that. will get a chance in the spotlight, including Garibaldi and Meucci. Mm-hmm. I um, like that idea a lot. <laughs> like I'd say, take the top 10, <laughs> you know, uh, but that would be, uh, that would be one way, uh, a campaign to put it in the uh, school systems of the United States would have to happen through the committee of social justice. That's a wing of um, these order sons and daughters of Italy in America. There are lobby group in Washington. Mm-hmm. And if they wanted to take that cause up, they should lobby Congress to ask the school systems to somehow include um, with uh, reference to our minority, the history of these men Mm -hmm. and the histories of many other international figures. Yeah, absolutely. Now, like another, another thing that I just, um, just thought of, and then also while I was at the museum, how come there's not a movie about Giuseppe Garibaldi? Or I know there are some, but they're Italian films. They're Italian films. In fact, he was quite popular. Uh, there was about four or five feature length um, Italian films about him mm-hmm. and his wife. Uh, not the same for Meucci, unfortunately. He wasn't mm-hmm. as, as dashing a character, yeah. but there should be a film about him. Uh, we have made our own short CDs dealing with the life of Meucci, the life of Garibaldi, but they're not published. They're not online. They're not mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, yeah, a, a movie would, would would probably do justice or at least get attention 
but it would have to be historically correct. Yep. And sometimes, unfortunately, uh, I'll tell you where it would, would differ from American politics. He, um, Garibaldi, said he would join the Civil War if it was meant to free the slaves. Mm-hmm. And at that time, in 1861, the Civil War was meant to retain the Union. Only after 1863 did Lincoln sign the Emancipation Proclamation freeing the slaves. So Garibaldi really wanted to, would have, given his blood and time, if the cause was to free the slaves. So that's mm-hmm. where we had a problem with with politic. He was really um, an innovator, a revolutionary of sorts. Mm-hmm. And I think at that time, at the Civil War time, we, we were, and, and now, we're a little afraid of revolutionaries. Yep. A little sensitive. Mm-hmm. And so it's always good to keep those those inspirations in the back. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I guess let's talk about like the museum now. When could everyone like as open all year round? I guess let's just plug the museum as much as much as we can. Well, as COVID was a horrible plague to everybody, mm-hmm. it had to be a big boon for us. Prior to COVID, the museum existed. We have school programs. We teach Italian. We had children coming in to learn a little bit of history and Italian culture. Uh, but it was more of a classroom than a museum. At that mm-hmm. time, it contained some of the artifacts of both men without context. So what happened was we had to close down over COVID, and that gave us the opportunity to go explore our own assets. The basement of the building uh, had collected some seven decades of artifacts and wow. files And we were able, myself and um, a wonderful history major who just graduated St. John's, her name is Amanda Seaman, we scrupulously went through the basement, every file box, every every piece of artifact, and were able to get the hint, the direction to research the actual history of everything that happened that involves these two men in this house. And so we took the time and we pulled everything off the walls and we made completely different narratives for both men. And in fact, right now there's a a specific gallery dedicated to Anita Mm -hmm. because we celebrated her um, 150th birthday, I think, uh, just a few months ago. So we have that up on display right now. But we, our job was to take that house and put it in context in history. Mm-hmm. And give people a lesson of why it's called the Garibaldi Meucci Museum. Well, it honors two very different men for two very different reasons that just happened by fate and history to land in the same structure, become very good friends mm-hmm. for a period of eight months between 1850 and 1851. Now, if you think about uh, the entire <laughs> the entire circumstance of the world. Um, this happened to be a happy circumstance. This happened to be something that inspired both men to both men to go on and reach greater plateaus in their lives. And yet, after he left in 1851, Garibaldi never laid eyes on the Meucci's again for his entire life. He stayed in constant contact, writing letters and and just encouraging back and forth. But that short time spent in this building was a place that fate occurred. 
the fate of our uh, industrial future, our technological future, and the fate of world politics. And so we wanted, myself and Amanda, uh, to bring that narrative to the walls. So when you come in, you wouldn't walk around and just see um, paintings of battles that are out of context and artifacts that aren't really associated with anything uh, solid. And we turned it into the story. And the story starts with the need of Italy to unify and ends with a hero uh, passing away at an elderly age on an island off of Sardinia. That's Garibaldi's story. And then Meucci's uh, how he went from a political prisoner as a boy in Florence to becoming, uh, in retrospect, one of the greatest inventors of our time. And so when you step into the building, you step into history. Uh, there we have preserved the very bedroom that Garibaldi spent his short time mm-hmm. in America. And you're walking into a shrine. Many people from Italy that come to visit uh, treat that room as if it was a church or as if it was a religious uh, visitation because it's as if we walked into uh, Washington's bedroom, okay? And so I see far more reverence from people that know the history than that Mm. don't. And those that don't now have an opportunity to get that from walking through our galleries and asking our docents and discussing history like we're doing now. And it's our intention now to expand upon the physical museum by building a fairly modern set of offices out back so we could restore the other three bedrooms to reflect the other three occupants of the house. And um, they're very different. They're very colorful people, including Meucci and his wife, Esther. And we would like to give the people the same opportunity to walk back in time that they have in Garibaldi's bedroom. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's very important. It's kind of a touchstone for uh, ethnic Italians where we can go someplace and, and say, well, that's something I could personally be proud of. That's That's something that my ancestors had a part of. And you can't do that in most museums in New York. I mean, or anywhere. Mm-hmm. Say you went to the Metropolitan. Of course, you could see the great works of art from the Renaissance. But that's so far removed from the ethnic Italians of our day that it really, we have the same relation as the rest of the world does with them. Mm-hmm. This is the people that my great-grandfather remembered. These are the people that uh, we're probably possibly related to uh, because they were part of the great immigration to the United States. Mm-hmm. And and so it's far closer to us, relatively. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I know it's like going to, I guess, just like like either Philadelphia or Boston or certain um, museums or old, I just, historical buildings and seeing like where Congress took place, where they signed the Constitution. It's like, this is where Meucci invented the telephone. It's... Certainly. I mean, a place like Gettysburg, which I visited not too long ago, um, is sacred to both North and South. And even if they were opposing forces and have different politics to this day, um, they come together in reverence and they come together in respect. And this is our museum, the Garibaldi Meucci Museum, 
is a place where people from pure Italian families or mixed Italian families or with a tiny bit of Italian in their background could come and relate historically to. Mm. I'm a part of the city. I'm a part of this country. I'm a part of world history. So that, that's what we opened our doors for. And we've been owned by the Sons of Italy since 1919. We turned it into a museum in 1953. And for most of that time, it was just held by two elderly caretakers mm-hmm. who, if you knocked on the door and they were home, would let you in. It really wasn't until the 70s, 80s, 90s that they opened up for tours and classes. And now we're, we're taking it that step further. Mm-hmm. Becoming a historical site. We are a national historical site. Uh, that's not often recognized um, in by visitors, but we have the plaque outside. And we're, we're trying to become more of a um, provider of history than just a place to go. Uh, and we, we run great programs, too. We run cultural programs that uh, we talk about Vesuvius. We talk about um, stories, children's stories written by Italian writers, which bring the culture and the um, ethnicity to uh, a much more familiar point. We have classes in Italian. We teach Italian. We teach opera, uh, Italian opera and otherwise. And now we're trying to get a a score of... um, uh, classes together for Italian history, for Italian um, economics, and for Italian uh, science. So we're trying to do centric classes, which give a bit of history and contribution and subjects covered by various people um, from our own ethnicity. That's very cool. And it's very cool learning all of that in such such a special house. Yeah, well, we actually... Thank goodness we actually got our um, uh, our affidavit of being an actual teaching place from New York State. So oh. we are certified, and so we can hold these classes. And in, in theory, we could actually uh, provide college credits if oh, we get cool. a, a, a provision to get an acclimate, a, a approved course and curriculum for any given school. We've had... Um, uh, People come and work for us voluntarily and get credit for college uh, many times. In fact, we got some of our best people that way. Awesome. And um, we, we want to expand our profile because we've been under a barrel for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, your broadcast goes out to uh, an Italian-American ethnicity, to many people who listen in. And it's important to know through your ability to reach them, that there is a place that recognizes their greatness. There is a place that recognizes their um, forefathers and contributions, as opposed to constantly being stereotyped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I can't um, applaud you guys enough for the job you've done. When I came through the museum, I had such a great time. It was a spur of the moment thing. I just happened to be in Staten Island visiting family. And I was like, you know what, let's just, let's just go to the museum. I meant to book it in advance and we just showed up, but we were obviously welcomed with open arms and got the tour. And it was, it just blew me away. I had such a great time and felt very, very inspired afterwards. Well, I, I, I appreciate you as, as a young Italian American 
coming with such great interest and so open to learn. And I, I wish that every one of my tourists was like you. Uh, and many of them, uh, I'm, I'm happy to say are, many of them have the interest in, and, the, and they're astounded by this little piece of history that was almost denied to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I greatly enjoy telling the story too. We have several very well-versed people now that can walk you through it, or we actually have everything written up on the walls. So if you want a peaceful day, you can wander through there and it'll probably take you a good hour or two to absorb some of that. Mm-hmm. Now for everyone listening, where could they go book the tour? Where, where What's the address oh, of the museum? The museum is 420 Tompkins Avenue, Staten Island. Let me get the phone number for you. Uh, it's, it's, it's right off. I mean, it's just a one couple of bus stops away from the ferry one train stop so it's quite easy to get Mm -hmm. uh, to it and let me just go um, pull up the number for you and we'll have the links in the wherever anybody's listening to this we'll have the link for the website in the um, description oh fantastic the the phone number where you could book is area code 718 and the number is 442-1608 and we have tours right now. The schedule is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, first tour begins about 1 o'clock. And the last tour, uh, we close around 5 o'clock to the public. So the last tour would be about 4.30. And trust me, if you book ahead and come on down, you're going to walk away with a completely different perspective. And 100%, 100% agree. agree. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, Professor, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really, really appreciate it. And hopefully um, next time I'm in Staten Island, we'll come down and see the museum again. Oh, I'd be greatly, uh, greatly welcome. And we're going to be having a, a whole series of different events coming up, cultural events, fun events, and we'll keep you guys um, up to date on it. Oh, please. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you again for coming on. Everybody listening, make sure to follow the Garibaldi Museum, um, Garibaldi Minucci Museum on Instagram, Facebook. Check out their website. All of that information's in the description. And uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll uh, talk to you in the next episode. Ciao. Thank you.